The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be joining you again on a Sunday morning. Hmm. Huh, it looks like there's something different about my video today. Huh, I can't quite put my finger on it, though. Do you, do you all notice something different? Uh, well, I guess we'll figure it out later. Anyway, these last few weeks here at Wellsprings, we have been preaching in our Summer Spirit Flicks message series, as we do each year, finding the deeper meaning in movies and in the stories on our screens. And I've noticed a bit of a trend these last few weeks. We've had our preachers revisiting some of their classic favorite stories on the screen. Last week, Rodney preached about the movie Grease. A few weeks back, Reverend Ken preached about Die Hard. Spoiler alert, he does argue that it is a Christmas movie. And so maybe it was me noticing that trend, but something about life these past few weeks got me thinking about the movie that inspired my message today, a movie that is nearly as old as movies themselves. It's almost 100 years since its release at this point. The 1939 classic film, The Wizard of Oz. Now, if you grew up, at least in America, but probably almost anywhere in the world at this point, I don't think it's possible to not know this movie. It's a story like Humpty Dumpty and Old MacDonald Had a Farm, like it's deep in there (laughs) from childhood. I could not tell you the first time I saw this movie. It's a, it's a memory before memories, I think, for me. But I know intimately all the characters, all the costumes, all the songs. And maybe you do too, but I'll remind you of the basic sketch of the plot of The Wizard of Oz. In the beginning of the film, Dorothy, a girl living in Kansas, gets swept away from her home by a tornado and she's set down into the magical land of Oz. And so she wants to try to find her way back home in this new place, and she sets off with three new friends that she makes, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow. They set off down the yellow brick road to see the wizard, who all of the residents of Oz promise can make whatever she and her friends are longing for real, can make it come true. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, I see now. So I always find it interesting to look back at classic childhood stories like this with adult eyes. Because what really happens in this movie, right, is Dorothy experiences head trauma. (laughs) She gets hit on the head in the tornado with like a flying piece of wood or something. She passes out, and we all get to watch the massive hallucination she has before she comes to. (laughs) The movie points to it, right? The Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, the Scarecrow, they are played by the same actors as three of the farmhands on her family's farm. We meet them early in the movie. And it's the same with the Wizard of Oz himself. He's a reconstruction in her subconscious of the little bit shifty but ultimately kind 
traveling fortune teller in her little Kansas town. Dorothy gets hurt at the beginning of this movie. She's injured in a natural disaster, something that's nobody's fault. She's just vulnerable and in the wrong place at the wrong time. And in that state of being scared and under threat, her mind tries to make sense of what's going on, tries to find a way to feel safe again. You know, it's a perfect plot line. Now as an adult looking at this movie, it's perfect for a children's movie developmentally, right? Because so many children's stories are about this, something that is with us from birth, that feeling of being scared and just trying to feel safe again. When you are a little person and you don't know much, the world can be a really big and scary place. And learning how to feel safe and to find safety, that is one of our biggest tasks of childhood. Learning how to assess risk, who to trust, and how to keep ourselves well. It's not just relevant when we are little, though. I mean, what could be more relevant for us today? Today, August 1st, 2021, more than a year into a life-changing situation for so many of us. The reason I am still talking to you on a screen right now, all of us wondering after a big natural disaster, what is safe and what's not? Who is safe and who's not? Our world has become even more confusing in just the last week or two. We're watching headlines about breakthrough infections and the new Delta variant of the coronavirus. I actually got a COVID test for the very first time in the pandemic, believe it or not, earlier this week. It was negative, fortunately. But I went and got tested because I felt sick for the first time in a long time. I haven't been going places and meeting many germs. And I hoped it was just a cold, but I had no idea. I wanted to know so that I didn't put anyone else, didn't put any of you at risk. What do we do when we're not sure anymore what's up and what's down and when it's all so confusing and the world may be flush with color and excitement again, but now there's also witches and flying monkeys and we don't know who we can trust in this new world we found ourselves in. More than that, we don't know how or whether we can even get back to that place, that home that we used to know. I think many of us are struggling with these questions right now. I know that I am. For me, it's like a low-grade hum in the back of my mind. This feeling like we've made it through the worst of this experience. But things are still not on solid ground. And my subconscious, subconscious is humming. It feels like all the time, still trying to find my footing. This is what collective trauma does to people, to us. It reverberates over time. 
We've talked about this at Wellspring so many times, long before the pandemic. Trauma happens whenever something overwhelms our ability to cope and make sense of what's going on. And it can be collective. It lives alongside us as we start trying to find our way out or around or moving forward alongside what's happened. Trying to formulate some new sense of the meaning of it all. And we're all somewhere on that road right now. Like most roads, it takes time to travel. Especially when the trauma seems to be ongoing or to revisit us in waves. But the good news, I think, is that really the only way we can screw up this journey is to pretend we're not on it at all. As long as we are willing to pay attention to where our feet are moving on this yellow brick road together, as long as we're willing to tell stories and process our memories and notice our thoughts and feelings and allow ourselves to slowly find and make this meaning from these experiences, then we will get there. Or actually maybe a better way to say it is we will find enough safety and meaning here, not there, but wherever we are on the path. By being honest with ourselves and each other, about how we're feeling, we've won more than half the battle. Being honest, maybe half the battle, but the other half, of course, is found with each other. It's finding the soft places for those thoughts and those feelings as we make sense of this to land with someone else. And that's the part of this that we can do for each other as we travel. Not every person we meet, and we know this, is going to be caring or understanding or see things the way we do, or even be open to the way we see things. And that makes the people and the places where we can really share it all so much more precious. I remembered this week a story I read a little while back. Another story, actually, about a tornado in Kansas. It's from the short story author, Antonia Nelson, who wrote about something that happened to her back in 1966, when she was five years old. Antonia, as a little girl, her father, her mother who was pregnant at the time, and her four older siblings, this big family, were all packed into their station wagon one day when the sky began to get cloudy and angry and suddenly things got a little too quiet in the air. Antonia's father pulled into a shopping center parking lot because he saw the signs and he was hoping to get them all inside to take cover, but he was too late. A tornado was cruising fast along the flat Kansas prairie and heading straight towards them. And before they could run inside to safety, it roared right past the shopping center into the parking lot. And Antonia remembers it picked up 
the family's station wagon and it turned it over upside down and then set it back down onto the pavement and the tornado blew off down the road the family's car now upside down had been set back down on the ground almost gently now the whole family was shaken up like hell on the inside right but miraculously none of the children and adults the seven people in that car were physically hurt Antonio remembers going to the hospital afterwards. They all went to get checked out, and the doctors examined each child one by one. No broken bones, nobody needed stitches, maybe a couple bruises, but yeah, everybody was okay. Except there was one thing they didn't know. You see, in the 1960s, the technology was not what it was today, and the family and Antonia's mother all went home wondering for months, whether anything had happened to that baby growing inside of her womb. Would the baby be all right? Would it not? For months, all they could do was wonder and hope. There was nothing to do but wait and see. You know, anytime we try to move forward, move on from something scary that happens to us, there's always some of that same kind of waiting. Will it be all right? Or will it not? How will this affect us? How will this change us? We can do the things we can do. We can go to the hospital and get the scans, but there's some piece of what is to unfold that simply has to unfold and come in its own time. And yet the time, while we may have to wait through it, we don't have to be passive in the waiting. It can be a scary thing to go down the yellow brick road. There are flying monkeys and witches. There might be danger and there might be adventure ahead. But there can also be friends, companions and connections who travel with us, sticking together, linking arms, skipping down that road, singing and listening and supporting each other, being for each other those soft places to land that help to keep us safe as we travel along the way. Dorothy finds herself in this bright and vibrant and colorful place. She has survived what's happened to her, but also the places new and scary and unfamiliar. All she wants is to be home again. And her little misfit crew wants things too, a heart and a brain and courage, things that they have lost one way or another and are longing to find again. Those things that they seek, the way back home, they all end up being things that they have to find along the journey. Things that they learn were always inside them. In Dorothy's case, magically, the way home was literally on her feet the whole time. 
but in traveling together, they are able to share what they are seeking and why they are seeking it. They are able to guard and protect and love one another. And eventually that wizard cannot snap his fingers and make things happen, but he can lovingly point out to them the gifts they've already been given and how maybe they can use them now in a new way to create a different kind of future. The poet Danusha Lamaris has a poem that everybody is sharing right now, I've noticed online, called Small Kindnesses. So you may have heard of her. She grew up speaking Arabic for a time. There were a few years that her family lived in Beirut in Lebanon. And Danusha Lamaris has written a number of poems about that experience and about the Arabic language itself, including one poem about a phrase you may have heard if you know or are an Arabic speaker yourself. It's the phrase, inshallah. Inshallah. I remember first hearing it regularly from a, a friend at my old UU church in D.C., uh, a white woman I knew who became a UU Muslim, dual-affiliated, when she married a Muslim man. And then again, I heard it years later from a classmate in divinity school, a black Muslim woman from Chicago. Both of them peppered their speech all the time with this word. It seemed to come up in so many conversations. They might say, this winter I'll go back home to see my parents, inshallah. Or, yeah, I really think this new project I'm working on is going to turn out well, inshallah. The phrase means... If God wills it, if God wills it, there's a similar word for this in Spanish that you might know too, ojala. Now to a Unitarian Universalist's ear, maybe you have a little bit of a head tilt reaction to that idea of constantly peppering your speech with this phrase, if God wills it. After all, you use don't necessarily all believe in God, let alone some sense of God's will plan. If there's any consensus among Unitarian Universalists, maybe it's that what is divine and what is human work together, God's will and our will sort of in a partnership on a seesaw of some kind, right? But you can ask 20 Unitarian Universalists and get 20 different answers for how they would balance that particular seesaw. Is what happens more up to us or to God, something greater than us. I have my opinion, but of course I don't know the answer. And I've always remembered how I felt hearing these two women I knew pepper this phrase into their speech, keeping it right on the tongue, inshallah. I felt safer somehow. I felt more at ease. Like it was a little linguistic reminder, a small practice of devotion to keep on the tongue at all times, to ask and hope for things 
with a constant kind of humility. A way of remembering that what I do and what I plan for is always at least a little bit out of my hands. That much is true for all of us right now. And while it can be scary, it's also good. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not qualified to be God. (laughs) I don't want everything that happens to be in my hands. And because disasters strike often in this life, disasters of all kinds, losses and traumas and illness and grief, then I want gentle hands to strike sometimes also. To set my car down softly on a parking lot. I want colorful dreams to show up and companions to join me. People who show me all my own magic when I forget it. People who can be with us while we find our way back to safe places. Places that may look the same as they did when we started, but because of the journey, we will be different. We will have grown. Hmm. To me, that is perhaps the most loving image of God or of the divine. Not the one who you pray to in the right way to make things turn out the way you want them. But a God who will stay with us no matter what changes. A love that does not let go until we find our way back home. This is Danusha Lamaris's poem about that beautiful Arabic word. I don't know when it slipped into my speech, that soft word meaning if God wills it. Inshallah, I will see you next summer. The baby will come in spring, inshallah. Inshallah, this year we will have enough rain. So many plans I have laid have unraveled easily as braids beneath my mother's quick fingers. Every language must have a word for this. A word our grandmothers uttered under their breath as they pinned the whites soaked in lemon and hung them to dry in the sun. Or peeled potatoes dropping the discarded skins into a bowl. Our sons will return next month, inshallah. Inshallah, this war will end soon. Inshallah, the rice will be enough to last through winter. How lightly we learn to hold hope, as if it were an animal that could turn around and bite your hand. And still we carry it, the way a mother would, carefully from one day to the next. That last stanza, I'll read it again. How lightly we learn to hold hope, as if it were an animal that could turn around 
and bite your hand. And still we carry it the way a mother would, carefully from one day to the next. May we carry it with love. May we carry it together into the next week, friends, and all the way down the long road ahead. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I invite you, if you feel comfortable, to close your eyes, perhaps bow your head, let your shoulders fall, and join me in the spirit of prayer. God of our hearts, own language. God who knows and carries our hopes along with us. Holy love, force that holds us all. In holding us, you know how our communities and our families are in places of uncertainty and doubt how things seem to shift and change for so many of us, how we live our lives always, every day, with these mixtures, turmoil sometimes of excitement and joy and worry and gratitude and loss. How many things we experience in times like these when we have been shaken up and set back down. May we remember that there is nothing we can feel that is not acceptable. There is nothing we can feel that we are not supposed to feel. And in fact, may we remember that honoring how we are is what helps us move forward with the consciousness to turn what we feel into something good. To transform our emotions and thoughts and experiences into something that is in alignment with our heart's calling and our values and what you call us to, which is love, which is kindness and care towards each other. As we walk that path together, as we experience that alchemy of transforming what we experience into something that is good for the world, may we find comfort in our companions. And may we remember, thanks to you, thanks to each other, that so far we have made it through and we can keep moving with each step and breath, one moment and one day at a time towards what we long for. For the prayers that I have spoken this morning and for the prayers that everyone with us is carrying silently on their hearts. We say amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, 
wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.